2: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call
3: upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumbaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Welcome to United Hour, your one stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host this week, Nick. And I'm Imran. Yep, still two of us over here. As we've had for weeks and weeks, two of us. We keep waiting for three of us because you've got a quiz lined up for us at some point, haven't you Imran? I do. It's, It's really not worth the wait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping everybody with bated breath. But yeah, we wanted to throw out our podcast. It's kind of nice in a week where we actually don't have any match to talk about or any match to get depressed about, uh, to just talk about more things going on around the club. Uh, we'll do a big focus on the managerial situation, talk a bit more about just what's left for the rest of the season, the squad. There is also some kind of news about things going on in the boardroom with the Glazers and maybe a potential protest. Share scheme, this kind of thing, and a bit of maybe international roundup. But yeah, look, I think we should st- start straight with the managerial situation. Um, there's been some news that it's pretty clear the club have interviewed Eric Ten Hag for the job. Uh, it sounds like there will be some more talks with other managers, uh, seeing Luis Enrique's name, Juan Lopetegui, and uh, there's also Pochettino is still in the frame, but it's pretty clear that Paris Saint Germain will not give permission to talk to him but he is definitely still in contention uh, and yeah before we get on to all the detailed manager talk we are going to take a few little views from the rest of the podcast crew uh, a few of them giving their opinions on which manager they want and why so yeah Imran's going to do a great editing job on editing these guys in have a listen there and then yeah we'll continue from there
4: thank you nick now at this point i was going to cut seamlessly to the united hour podders who gave me some audio files of their managerial opinions however none of them decided it would be a good idea to introduce themselves so what you'll hear next is ed then race from inside a warehouse or something i don't know why he decided it was a good idea to do that uh then david and then ashwin's going to go on and on and on for ages and then you'll come back to me and nick so enjoy
1: If I had to choose between Ten Hag or Poch, I think I'd probably go with Ten Hag, just because I get the impression that it could be sort of like a um, transformative uh, appointment in comparison to Poch. I mean, Poch has been
4: really good wherever he's gone in getting teams playing a certain way. But I I think it's the element of the unknown with Ten Hag, and it it could end up being either really good or really crap, or maybe, you know, really good for two seasons and then really crap for six months like it has been with the last however many managers we've had since. I don't know. Either that or we'll go with Ted Lasso and uh, nothing could go wrong there.
3: My first preference is for Ranić to stay, the reason being he's already got first-hand experience of the toxic culture at the club. Um, he's already fallen out with a lot of players, which I like. It means that he can see through their bullshit. So if he was to stay uh, and be able to enact a transfer strategy over the summer, he would advise not to renew the contracts of the likes of Rashford, and he'd get rid of them. And I think the club would be in a better position once he leaves after that season and he's got rid of half that deadwood. Um, second preference would be Cal, who would probably appreciate Um, Ranik's judgment as a sporting director and probably wanting to stay on and even if uh, Ranik isn't able to stay on I think Tuchel's proven that enough clubs that he's got the judgment and the ability to um, create elite elite level teams Uh, and then finally Luis Enrique is another manager who always gives me the vibe that he takes no bullshit. Um, he took over a Barcelona team which was post-Pep cycle, um, which was kind of in the doldrums, and he managed to re-motivate, reinvigorate. Um, he's also just a guy who generally just takes no bullshit. So another very strong character, but can also play great football. Um, Ten Hag, I think. You know, I know Ajax, he's done a great job, but my worry is that there's a huge step up. He's not going to have the team around him to have a nice set of young, pliable players to work with. Reminds me a bit of Puch at Tottenham, where the environment was perfect. Can he handle a difficult environment like Manchester United? Will the job be too big for him? Um, And I definitely don't want Puch because he's a big pussy. Anyone that's seen the PSG documentary will... Well, share the same view. You
1: know, I think if we were talking dream manager, then I would probably want Nagelsmann, but highly unlikely that he's going to believe in Bayern any time soon. I mean, he could be there for 20, 30 years, who knows? But I have been a big fan of Eric Ten Hag for a while. Um, and out of all the coaches that are available to us, he plays a style of football that I would deem to be the most effective in the modern game. He has a great track record of improving players. I mean, look what he's done to Dusan Tadic and Sebastian Haller, uh, and he's not afraid to use the younger players. The only real concern is that the golfing expectation is massive, but Dutch people do tend to be pretty confident, so that could work in his favour. Um, Anthony and Ryan Gravenberts two of the most exciting young players in Europe and supposedly he's got a great relationship with all of his players and staff so if bringing him in is going to give us access to that level of talent then I think it's a no-brainer I think if we give the job to any of the other candidates uh, we might be more likely to continue our more recent strategy of buying the big names Um, and as Pochettino is currently demonstrating at PSG Highly paid superstars, they don't win you anything if you can't send out 11 players who put the work in at both ends of the pitch. Uh, It's ten hag all the way for me, Um, but like any of the managers coming in, the biggest initial task will be getting rid of some of the poison in our dressing room. It's such an obvious, obvious issue. And the main culprits, who I think we all know who they are, (coughs) Lingard, (coughs) shaw they need to be put in their place or, or sold and move on.
5: So, if United are obviously uh, looking to hire a new manager, uh, the two most common names seem to be Ten Hag and Pochettino. And I think personally, um, I I would just much prefer they go with Ten Hag. And it's for a few reasons. Um, I, I guess the reasons why I'll say I don't want Pochettino is I think Pochettino represents... Everything that is typical of what United do or what United have done in the post-Ferguson era. He's not a bad manager. He's not a failure necessarily. I mean, he has failed at PSG, you could argue, but um, he is a, a big name. He's a name we're comfortable with. He's established in the Premier League. He has a reputation. We all know him. And And if you look carefully at how the reports have come out, Um, everything about Pochettino is always also mentioned that he's a favorite in the locker room. Uh, The players would like to play for him. And, um, you know, there's also an element. I mean, there was some reporting that maybe Ferguson would prefer him to 10 Hag, And obviously we know Ferguson was at least very interested in him uh, back when we hired Mourinho. Um, But, this is all to say, like, all the reporting around Pachtino seems to suggest a manager that is comfortable and very much in line with not shaking the boat too much and representative of all of the things that um, have come to exemplify what Manchester United are post-Ferguson. And it represents a comfort level in... To me, what just seems like a visionless path. I mean, is Pochettino a bad manager? No. Explain to me what he is, though. What is his vision? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to be? Has he evolved tactically? Because what he was in 2016, 2017, that was great then. Is it still great now? Does it suit us now? What does he want to do? Would he, is he down to, is he agreeable to to making the major changes in the squad that, in my opinion, need to be made. I don't know. I have no idea. I can't answer that question affirmatively or negatively. I just wonder. Whereas with Ten Hag, I think yes, it is a bigger risk. Ajax is not Manchester United. He has never managed a club of this stature with players of this stature. Whether they deserve to be of this stature, or not as a separate question, but they are, um, being at Manchester United. And the egos involved and the money and all that kind of stuff is different from what he's had to deal with at Ajax. I accept all of that. But he has a very clear idea of how he wants to play. I think the way he has his team set up is, quote-unquote, very modern. Uh, He seems to be more on the cutting edge tactically. And I think that's ultimately what United need to be pushing for. They need to be looking to push the boundaries. And if that means that it requires players that are, You know, if you need to do major surgery on the squad, if players are uncomfortable, which means that they will be looking to exit, so be it. I don't care. This team is not worth catering to the players at this point. Um, Whoever is willing to stay and can fit what is demanded from the manager, then so be it. And I think with Ten Hag, we'll have a clear vision. We'll know what we're trying to achieve. Uh, and, And quite frankly, I think it's a departure from the typical way manchester united has operated um in the post ferguson era which has always been primarily about comfort um, but as i say eric
2: ten Hag has been definitely been spoken to uh you know we hear little stories as well that he also had an interview maybe for tottenham last summer and they decided not to go for him um but yeah where are you at on ten Hag?
4: i mean he is my number one choice um from the bunch we've just talked about mainly because i mean I, like as often when people talk about ten Hag, they it with saying i don't watch a whole lot of ajax which i don't i've watched them a couple of times in the champions league i did watch there i watched them against dortmund um where they were very impressive um took dortmund apart but then dortmund also got taken apart by rangers so i mean that kind of puts it in perspective i guess uh sorry scottish fans out there um but Generally, like over the last couple of years, anytime I do watch, I actually think they play some nice football, um, they play football, like attractive football. It's based around like possession and technical ability. It's quite different um, in terms of like not really the counter counter-attacking style that we've been seeing over the last few years. So it's a bit of a change. Um, it's all about systems and Bringing up youngsters, so okay, kind of that's where I'm at on him. I think he is the, and it's he's the, he's the unknown quantity of it as well. Um, I think we know we know what we'd get with Pochettino. We've seen it, we've done it, we've 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 had the t-shirt of Poch, and I think there's that there's that unknown quantity to Ten Hag where we don't know what his potential could be with a with a big club. Um, and you could say, you could, I mean, you could argue that obviously Poch is, I mean, his biggest club is now PSG, and they are a massive club, but they're a basket case. Um, but then you could argue we're a bit of a basket case, obviously not to that level, but we are in, in certain aspects. So that, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on the Ten Hag, the Ten Hag train myself.
2: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I've said for a while, I'd be happy with Eric Ten Hag, but I'm still also a fan of Pochettino, who I've been a fan of all the way back to when he was even at Southampton. Like I remember talking about him on this podcast when we were talking about who's going to replace Louis Van Gaal. And eventually, obviously, it was Jose Mourinho. But even at that point, I was actually quite in favour of Pochettino. We know that Alex Ferguson is a big fan of his. Uh, the biggest problem with Pochettino is that he we will not be allowed to talk to him. He will not be interviewed. But, you know, there's always things going on in the background between intermediaries and things like that. So I'm pretty sure the club will have a good idea by now on whether he's interested in the job or not and all kind of rumours point to the fact that he wants out of Paris Saint-Germain and that he would be he would be desperate even to come mm. back to the Premier League at Manchester United. Uh, I mean yeah a couple of the more surprising names that some might know as not know as much about yeah Luis Enrique the current Spain manager uh, I mean I said before that I thought he won't be up for the job because why on earth would he consider leaving Spain in a World Cup year? But there's been this kind of option thrown out there about what if Ralph Ranić stays in charge until kind of the end of the year and that Luis Enrique then comes in. Um, I mean, it's not ideal, but well, you know, some people are saying, look, he should be the number one option. And if we have to wait a few months to get him, uh, he should be the one. Obviously, he's did pretty well at Barcelona uh, over there before. I mean, yeah. What what would you think of that option? Right. Because he's not going to come in the summer. Right. He's not going to leave no. Spain I mean, before going to the World Cup.
4: The problem with that is it's just pushing everything back then, isn't it? Like the, 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 the rebuild, the, re- the restart is meant to start in the summer, isn't it? And you get all the new players. I mean, we've got so many outs going in the summer. You'd imagine we'd have at least four or five players minimum coming in in the summer with the state of who's going out, who's leaving. And the fact that we just need, we actually will need bodies. So the restart will start in the summer. And you, really, you've got to have a new manager to come with that. And just another holding pattern for a couple of months will probably set us back. Um, unless Enrique was the number one only, this is it, there's nobody else choice. And I don't think that is the case. Then I don't think I don't see it as an option. I just see it as a yeah, just just delaying delaying us even further. And ultimately, if Enrico, what Enrique was the real choice. You would just work out some sort of like time management share between us and Spain.
2: Well, I think that is maybe one of the things, because he's an international manager rather than a club manager. Maybe something like that could be worked out, that at least he is involved in talking about targets and who comes in. And, of course, you know, Ralph Ranjit, we know, will stay at the club for another year or so, at least. And he's supposed to kind of oversee general kind of things around squad building and style of play. Uh, So, no, we'll see from there. Um, I mean, the other one as well, who's also an ex-Spain manager, is Lopetegui, who's at Sevilla. Uh, I mean, yeah, for me, he's a bit of an outsider. He doesn't really excite me. Like, the other three names, I would be quite happy if any of those were announced as Manchester United manager. But, yeah, Lopetegui, not so much. Uh, um, He's taken Anthony Martial off our hands, though. So, yeah, I mean, he he deserves some credit for that. Um,
4: I mean, he has got some uh, trophies to his name, to be fair yeah 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 he was
2: briefly briefly Real Madrid manager but it didn't go well for him over there no
4: but he's got a Europa League to his name it's not much but it's you know it's something with Sevilla but again with Sevilla winning the Europa League is not exactly uh out of the realms of craziness is it um no I mean if you don't win the Europa League with Sevilla
2: then you're struggling so (laughs) I mean (laughs) he has
4: won something at least but um I mean yeah, it's not not the most exciting one, that, isn't it? And he had that whole, uh, he had a terrible time at Madrid, but then that came after that whole Spain thing where he got sacked on, what, the first day of the World Cup or something? A year, or, well, World, it was World Cup, wasn't it? He got first, sacked, like, in the week before or something. Because
2: yeah, I think basically it came out that he'd already accepted the Real Madrid job and, yeah, and then the, the national team were not happy about yeah. that and whatever, so, yeah, it was all a bit messy over there, really. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so like w- I say.
4: I think we should, uh, just just track him back to, to Potch, so why, why, why is Potch? Your because we—I mean, a lot of um, so a lot of surveys have been done for United fans. You see them all over the place, and it seems like some, it's always somewhere between eighty, between 90 percent uh, of United fans seem to want Ten Hag. Yeah, I've
2: seen that. I think that is more because, like you said, he's the more like exciting, unknown, like maybe up and coming quality. With Pochettino, you know what you get. The big thing everybody does keep saying, which is true about Pochettino, is that he hasn't really won anything. Uh, you know, we're not really counting winning French league because if you don't win, and he's not fact, even, he won didn't yet. even win it, <laughs> he didn't win it. He might uh, get satisfied, he does. You know, like I say, he lost a one-horse race last year, um, but. I thought the job he did at Southampton was very good. I did understand that at that point, some people thought he wasn't ready for the step up. I think he then did as much as you can possibly do with Tottenham Hotspur, you know, to get them as a regular top four Champions League team, to get them to a Champions League final. He then, remember, he had that summer where he's the only Premier League manager ever who didn't get any new players in a summer transfer window, hmm. and then it fell apart completely. Uh, now some people will look at what's happening at PSG and count it against him, which I do also understand, because like you say, it's the first time he's going into what you say is a really big, big club, and it's not going well for him. But at the same time, you know, it didn't go well for Thomas Tuchel at PSG, so he's then come out of there, and now is like people's hot choice if we could get hold of him. But yeah, for me, Pochsey, the things are... One, about kind of working with youth players and things like that is something he's always been hot on. But also, yeah, that is something that will be good for Ten Hag, Luis Enrique too. That's why these managers are put out there because if everything is going on, even though our club is a bit of a mess, I think they do still f- keep a focus on that about the fact that our academy is important and there needs to be managers who come in and bring through youth players, which was not really something that was Jose Mourinho's forte. Whereas, yeah, maybe it was even for Louis and Van Hal, Ole, and things like that. But yeah, I guess all three of them have that. You know, hmm. Ten Hag also comes from Ajax, who are famous for bringing through players. He's come from Barcelona, Luis Enrique, and I think that is one of the big focuses. But, but our, yeah,
4: but I, I mean, our, our 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 youth players good enough. It's always a big question I have, because whenever everyone says this, I would think, have our youth players been good enough over the years? Who, who, who have we actually missed out on not bringing up over the last seven or eight years?
2: I think there's often players who maybe didn't have that much of a chance and you don't know how they might have done. There hasn't maybe been so much high quality. We've got several out on loan at the moment who I think could come back into the squad if they were managed in the right way next season. And that's always the difference between someone like, say, Mourinho, who will always... Prefer probably to go for a new fancy signing than maybe give a chance to a youth player. I mean, I might be unfair to Mourinho because he did actually bring through Scott McTominay, <laughs> so it wasn't like totally, you know. And he was his favourite so, player. He really made up, up an even award even a press
4: conference he did where he <laughs> <laughs> listed out like the sits the hundred youth players he gave a debut to or something. Do you remember? Yeah, I do remember that, and I also remember him
2: making up literally the Scott McTominay award. Oh, the Scott McTominay, Scott McTominay. The best <laughs> award, the best award. Uh, so yeah, he did focus on that and. Ole as well. It was actually a complaint of mine that Ole's kind of thing of bringing through youth players got a little bit lost in especially his last season or so, whereas he gave so many debuts early on and then most of them kind of just ended up on loan after loan. I mean, I actually think players like, especially somebody like James Garner, where we struggled in midfield could at least have had a chance hmm. to come and play like, uh, you know, play for the first team. I'm not saying he's going to be a week in, week out, but he, I think he's good enough to be part of our squad already. Uh, There's other players out there who've had good loans, whether it's like Ethan Laird. um, There's like, Pelestri is a random one at the moment, who's like getting regular starts for Uruguay and doing really well, but actually not managing to play for his club team, who aren't very good at no. all. So it's that's a bit of a bizarre one. But, uh, you know, we do have several out there. There's still like Ahmad, who again has like got a bit lost and not doing that well on Rangers. I mean, I know he's not an academy player, but uh, Ilanga now seems like he's established as a first team kind of squad player at the very least he also made his debut international for sweden on the weekend came on late as they won their kind of playoff qualifier and have gone through to the next round over there um so there, there is still a few names out there and i just think it's a more general thing even if it's not a media, it's about what happens in the next two or three years uh, i mean yeah they had this um i can't remember what it's called it's nx something it's like a release of the best youth players in the world at the moment and two of our players were put in the top 50 there this year and it's Hannibal and Shola Shortires like under 20 or something like that and two of their names are thrown out there you know we've seen a bit of both of them so yeah these are the names who might could get a chance if there's a player who's ready uh, a manager mm. who's ready to give chance to youth rather than send them <clears throat> out on loan although you know generally yeah. nowadays you have to prove yourself on loan before you come in unless you're really a big talent uh, most of them end up doing
4: I guess what you would say about those three names, Enrique, Poch, and um, Ten Hag, is if there is a youngster who is good enough, they will probably get a chance. So there is that. Um, Just circling back to Poch, I think my my overriding question with Poch is: with Poch at the helm, will you will you ever reach Klopp and Pep with Poch? And I just don't think you will. I just don't think he is. He's up there. He's, He's just a bit below them, and he always will be.
2: Yeah, look, it's possible. But at the same time, you can say, has he had the club before where he can reach that kind of height? And some people say, look, he's got a damn good squad at PSG and he's failing with it for whatever reason. And that's fair. Like I said before, at Tottenham, I don't see how he could have done that much more. All right, he he might have won a one-off Champions League final. There was that year when Leicester won the league, Mm -hmm. when some people said Tottenham should have won it. But that still would have been a surprise, even if
4: they'd won it. So that's why it's... Did Tottenham play great? I think there was one year, I think two thousand seventeen, I think, where Tottenham actually played like very good football under Poch. But other than that, I feel like I don't know if Tottenham ever blew me away with their wondrous no, football. No, they didn't. They uh, didn't. It was
2: just and very it's not functional. Necessarily. Very. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's... and it's not necessarily that much. And, but that is another question. You know, like you said before, that maybe Eric Ten Hag is more of a kind of possession based mm. uh, manager, which is completely different to what we've been playing under Ole yeah. and under okay. Ranjic and mm-hmm. even under Mourinho before that. Yeah. So it's a complete change. And we had this complete change before when Louis Van Hal came in and tried to bring in that more possession pace system and our fans didn't like it at all. I would not say that Eric Ten Hag is as extreme as that. Uh, You know, people always link him with Ajax, but he also was like assistant or kind of reserve team manager at Bayern Munich. Uh, So, you know, I was under quite a kind of different style of football over there as well. So he has had other kind of like experiences that can add over there. So he has been involved as well in a Bayern Munich, even not as manager, but, you know, which is obviously a huge club, one of the biggest. So he has been in and around that kind of Environment as well, I would just worry that if you go for a complete different style of football, that then you start saying, "Oh, it's a two-year process." Hmm. You know, it's not we're not going to get straight into it. Whereas I think somebody like Pochettino could come in quicker and get results quicker, and it's not going to say, "Oh, you know, I need two years to totally change the style and this and that and whatever."
4: I think, yeah, I would, I would, I think it, w- but it might take a long time under anyone though, because of the, the, the such as the upheaval that we're going to have this summer. And just, you know, in general, it does take managers a bit of time. Um, I do think Poch might maybe a bit quicker. Yeah, I think he's training. Apparently, his training methods are quite intense as well. Um, and I think, I'm not saying that Poch is a bad manager or anything. He obviously, I think we'd be very solid under Poch. Like, we'd be a solid outfit. We'd probably be, you know, far more solid than we are now. Top four would be probably on the cards and fairly assured. But it's just, it's just not inspiring enough. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's going to. Reach above, and maybe Ten no, high I, wouldn't. I do maybe Ten totally high understand. wouldn't. To be fair, to be fair, Enrique would be a a cracking get for that. It's just this whole World Cup thing's a bit of a bit of an issue. But um it's just it's just you want to you want to have a bit more. You want you want to feel like there's something more. And I feel like that. It's it, to be honest, it's not even like based in anything real. I guess it's just based on the the what ifs. I think so
2: that... often like it's like when players are injured and everybody suddenly decides that oh we're really missing that player. They're so great, and then they come back. And you remember that, actually, he wasn't that good in the first place. So it's kind of that unknown thing of Eric Ten Hag that almost elevates him to a higher level than maybe he deserves, whereas we all know what Pochettino is. And as I say, he's Mm. still got that thing, which is a bit similar to complaints about Ole, that, look, he was solid, got us in the top four, got us to finals, but ultimately couldn't go that one step further to actually bring trophies home. And
4: to be fair, there's probably people listening now who are like full Ten Hag, like disciples and watched every Ajax game and they probably know a lot more than me and you and think he's the most suited man to the job and that's also fair. I'm, just, I'm speaking more from the, the, common, the common man. I'm, yeah, I'm, down and with, I'm, say, I'm very every, much down with the people.
2: Every poll you see at the moment, he is the overwhelming favourite from our fans to come in. Uh, and I don't understand that, I just think that if you had, you know, I remember the same polls two years ago and 80% of people wanted Pochettino then you know all of a sudden he's kind of out of favor now just because things haven't gone that well for him at PSG Uh, and you know that's it things change quickly in football uh, after a month people forget what happened and all of a sudden Mm. uh, the next hot thing comes along and you know you were the hot thing one year ago and now nobody cares and you know like I said like six months ago people saying, oh Brendan Rodgers should be our manager only people only some certain (laughs) select
4: people saying that
2: I mean, I'm so glad that he's nowhere near the conversation. I hope he's not being interviewed. I hope he's not on the shortlist. He was
4: one that I absolutely did not want anywhere near. The thing with Poch is he will, I mean, surely he will be sacked in the summer by PSG, you would think. After their Champions League uh, debacle. Looks like, yeah, Zinedine Zidane is probably lined up to go in there as well. So you would think, I mean, even the Club A announced before the end of the season or towards the end of the season, or it drags on till after, what, after, into June? And is that ideal again? Or do you want a bit more concrete, right? We are getting, say, Ten in, He's coming in here. This is the progression. We're, up, we're like, here's a clear path to what's going on at Man United.
2: Yeah, I mean, the big question mark that we still don't know, and this will lead us into more discussions about the club, the boardroom, the owners, who's in charge, who's doing what, is what is Ralph Ranick's role at the moment? Now, he came in and we all know he said, okay, he's manager till the end of the season. And then at the start, I got the impression he's going to be our sporting director. Mm. He's going to oversee choosing the new manager. He's going to be an integral part of building the next squad in conjunction with the next manager. But a lot of that is going to be down to him as well. I'm now getting much more of the impression that Ralph Yannick's role after the end of this season is not that clear at all. No. And that maybe he's not that much involved in who is going to be our next manager and that that decision is still very much falling on the old board. Uh, You know, I understand that the people who went out to interview Eric Ten Hag are Richard Arnold and uh, Mertor. Uh, that's what I think. Maybe there was somebody else there as well. I don't know. Darren Fletcher might have been there. Darren Fletcher's that's appearing everywhere.
4: That's where...
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Darren Fletcher gets on every plane, every whatever he's doing. well he's in the meetings with <laughs> um, But yeah, Ralph Ranick was not over there, and he's said several times in press conferences when he's pressed questions about managers, about new players that. I'm I'm not even thinking about that, that I'm just the manager at the moment. And then in the summer, we will see what's happening. Mm. You know, he's also made a couple of comments about things like, uh, you know, I'm not sure what Darren Fletcher's role is in this club. Which is crazy. And crazy. yeah, that I'm not sure... How long I'm going to be manager. So, the more and more messages you get, from, and Ralph is often a bit too honest in press conferences. Yeah, he's, conferences. Like, yeah, he's yeah. you know, but basically, it's quite clear to me that the message is coming from him that. I don't know how involved I'm going to be or whatever myself. So let's see what happens. And yeah, this has been the biggest problem in the club for years and years is who is making decisions. Uh, And all right, you know, Woodward has now left. So we know he's not involved anymore. Uh, Richard Arnold has apparently taken his place, but the way I see it is he's more focused on the commercial side, even more than Woodward Mm. was. And the Murtagh, kind of with Fletcher possibly is supposed to be more about the football side of the club. But yeah, look, none of these things are clear. We don't know ourselves who gets this decision, but we do know that Joel Glazer is more and more involved in the day to day running of our club than he ever has been before. That is for sure. Uh, You know, and that is a big difference. Uh, You know, if when we start talking about more of the Glazer stuff in the early days, Malcolm Glazer, their father didn't do anything. Everything was left to Alex Ferguson and David Gill at the time, he just said, You get on with it. You I know you know what you're doing. The difference is now that we don't necessarily have people who know what they're doing, that Joel Glazer, maybe Averin Glazer as well, are getting more involved in day to day decisions. And that's why we've seen for years and years that bad decisions are being made, whether it's about recruiting managers, whether it's about when a manager should be fired or hired, whether it's about players coming in, there's, you know, constantly bad decisions being made. I did think that under Ole that there was signs of things getting better, that they did obviously try to start bringing in more football people, whether it's Fletcher. You know, we can laugh about Fletcher, but I do still think that personally it's good to have more football people in the club. Uh, You know, I'm surprised sometimes that people, they're negative about ex-players and all getting involved in the club. I saw a thing the other day saying that, oh, the club want, Maybe an ex-player to come in as assistant manager for the next guy, and names were mentioned from Van Persie. That's more because the kind of Dutch connection to Ten Hag. Rio Ferdinand's name was mentioned, and that, that. And I mean, it depends who the player is, but generally, I don't have an issue with ex-man united players and generally more footballing people being involved in the decision making at the club
4: footballing people yes but as long as they're qualified and as long as it's who they're like the assistant manager should be whoever the new manager wants their assistant manager to be whoever that is because they're the manager and their assistant is a vital role so it should be whoever they want it shouldn't have to be filtered to fit some sort of like decree that it has to be an ex-player or whatever like if it is Van, Van Persie is assistant manager at Feyenoord currently, um, and they're doing all right, so like if he's qualified for it and uh, two and ten Hag wants, great. And the fact that he plays for United, played for United before, it does add that little bit to it. But it's not like that shouldn't be the that that should be the the the, the cherry on top of the pie. It shouldn't be that the meat of the pie shouldn't be that they play they they played for Man United or whatever. It should be are they good for the job? Yes, and I think I think people get a bit frustrated when it's just like job for the boys kind of thing, like oh you played with us, so you can have a job without necessarily having earned it um and maybe and the, and the issue is you'll never know because maybe Fletcher has earned whatever job he does we 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 don't know what job he does and two, we don't know if he earned it. So it, it, it can get a bit frustrating, I suppose. Um... I mean, with Darren Fletcher, at least he did. He
2: was involved in coaching and all of other clubs. He yeah, didn't he did. just come straight in. I would have more of an issue with, say, Rio Ferdinand, yeah, who's, who's not been involved not in thing, the football side of the game since retiring. He's been a pundit. For me now, for him to come in and start saying he's a coach or whatever is a little bit strange he doesn't necessarily deserve it you know whereas other players have gone out have done a bit of coaching elsewhere and Hmm. whatever that is you know more interesting to me so say
4: for example if i don't know say it wouldn't happen now because he's obviously big but say wayne rooney off the back of this derby stint was to become our assistant manager i don't think anyone anyone would have a problem with that because he's obviously done a a decent job down there and that's kind of like he would have Earn our assistant manager role, but um if that's whoever. yeah, did
2: you, did you see the comments from Rooney this week? Where Rooney's, a,
4: Rooney's he, a madman, isn't he?
2: <laughs> well, this week he's been saying a lot. I think he's done some after dinner speaking. Probably, probably had a few drinks and has been slagging off a lot of his old teammates. I see Rio got a bit of a blasting for being arrogant. I watched Rio's um,
4: response, response when it was more like he was saying like um more. I like was like arrogant on the pitch where he like. Rio would do his thing and Rooney would do it and then we'd just argue all constantly on the pitch and that's just that that was, that was their relationship they would constantly argue on the pitch but they played together for like 10 years so obviously they they are actual like mates so arguing on the pitch I, is... did, I
2: did make this point before you know when there's been a lot of talk this season about body language about players not getting on and I said listen even in our best teams when we were winning everything there was players who fought, who shouted at each other, who argued, and I'm sure in every dressing room people were screaming at each oh, other, yeah. and it's just normal. I mean, it's
4: normal. On Monday, this Monday, me and my, me, my, my, my very, very professional six side team, we, what well, we're second in the league, we lost to something like second to bottom, and we were all shouting ton- ten shares of shit out of each other, like just properly having a go at each other. Yeah. Just, ha- we're all really good mates. It just happens, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: It's normal. Like I say, it's normal. Uh, I mean, yeah, what's not normal is how yeah, we see some of our players performing and maybe even the captain. Yeah. Did you see the kind of Maguire video that's doing the rounds from training? I think sometimes a bit too much is made about these little kind of five second excerpts of training or something. But, uh, you know, there's a one touch pass game going around getting to 40. And as soon as it gets to Maguire, the whole thing fell apart. You're down, down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah but you know let's just do a bit of international roundup before we get into more of the board glazers kind of shares conversation uh, I said on the last podcast that I was really interested to see how Harry Maguire did for England and in the end he wasn't selected and didn't play a minute at all um, but Luke Shaw did came in scored and then he made a couple of slightly weird comments that I think again have been blown out of proportion as if he was slagging off the club which I don't think he necessarily necessarily no. was but that's the way it's been portrayed but he made a comment basically saying that you know it's nice to be kind of believed in and be black playing somewhere where I'm happy for England and yeah you know what do you think about comments like that
4: uh it's it's a weird because they're not the, they're not the most useful comments but again it's like it's just a bit I think I feel like it's probably taken out he's probably what he probably means is like the mood at England is because th- th- maybe it's like it's it's a one it's a it's a a friendly, group of friendly games they've already qualified the mood is probably a lot more jolly it's a bit of a holiday isn't it going to England now uh, meet up with the lads have a friendly kick around it's probably a lot of... and then like he is obviously straight into the starting line up under Southgate with Chilwell out so for him personally it probably is a bit of a a nice break from the the, the, the rigours and pressures of United currently where everything isn't smooth going and he's finding it tough and he's not automatic choice at all anymore with Telez, even though isn't himself hasn't been setting the world alight so it's it's probably more of a, a a relief I guess but is that a good thing probably not but he's again he's probably just taken out of context more that just a bit different different environments and I'm sure I think he did say he's not to say that Man United's a bad environment but it was a bit the cats out of the bag then but just different I guess different is what I would say he probably should have said different I think different would have been a better word yeah
2: like you know sometimes it is interesting to see players who are struggling for confidence and all for the club go out and play internationally. we've seen it with Pogba again and again and again who you know puts in some awful performances for us and then goes out but he mean he made similar comments
4: didn't he this week about feeling more comfortable and uh, in France well he's
2: gone into a lot of detail hasn't he more he's talked about how maybe he was suffering from depression under Mourinho Mm. I mean I think a lot of us were to be fair but um, yeah he was talking about that and he's made comments saying the last five years haven't been good I haven't won anything at the same time I think a lot of that is down to him like you know not performing well enough he says I don't feel like I have a set kind of role at Manchester United and again I'd say that's because I think the role that you should be playing which is part of a two-man midfield you've not been good enough mm. defensively in the Premier League to play that regularly. So then you've been shoved into more kind of attacking areas where your defensive side doesn't get shown up and maybe you've been doing all right. You know, he's complaining about that, whereas saying that for France, I'm playing always the same position, I know what I'm doing. But I would put that back on him and say, yeah, it's because you've not performed. You've not played well yeah. enough in that French position for Manchester United to call that your own position. And that's why players who are not as technically high standard in the likes of McTominay and Fred but put in the hard work put in the shift get
4: preference Yeah, mm. I mean yeah Can't. it's hard to disagree with any of that isn't it um, but we will have to see him we we've got a couple more games with him and then he's probably off isn't he so Probably, although, you know, let's see if anyone will stump up the wages he wants. It's,
2: I still say it's not beyond possibility that he resigns and stays. But it it's, depends it's, on like, new manager and things like that. Isn't
4: the idea of not dealing with Paul Pogba like a welcome relief inside?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, we were having this I mean, discussion last summer. welcome relief, summer. Idea, isn't it? Well, I remember last summer we said Paul Pogba stick or twist, and we kind of didn't really think he'd still be here by now, not having signed a contract or having I mean, not having done something. Having with the same else.
4: conversations for the last five years. I mean, it's, it would be good to move on, just to yeah. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it... a, a, bit, a, bit, a, bit, a bit. I feel like this summer is the, the time of a bit, a big, a big reset. A big. You would hope.
2: Ah, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, on internationally as well. The other, we had three of ours played for Portugal, Bruno, Ronaldo and Dalo all started that game and they came through their kind of first leg qualifier and now play Macedonia, who did one over Italy, which was the surprise and great to see. Very funny. A uh, like, bit of giant killing over there. So yeah, it'll be Portugal, Macedonia, I think it's sometime in June. And yeah, well done to Wales as well, who are still kind of going over there and we're waiting for that Scotland-Ukraine game to happen at some point mm. uh, you know there's still a few more international games. I did actually hear that maybe Pogba and Varane have got some knocks out on international duty and we have to
4: see whether they're back in contention for the weekend game Varane uh... got a knock no <laughs> can't be um, <laughs> but no Portugal play Nas- North Macedonia tonight for that qualifying berth so we'll find out tonight whether we'll see Ronaldo Bruno and Dalo at the World Cup and I think Sweden are also tonight as well do so, they? I
2: don't think it's tonight. It is, is tonight. It? Yeah, it's tonight. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. The only reason Wales, is... and Wales
4: and Wales because Scotland and Ukraine didn't play, did they?
2: All oh, right. And it's Poland till and Russia
4: obviously didn't play, so that other qualifier isn't happening either. So it's tonight. Tonight is the, and then they have to decide what happens with, uh, with Russia and and stuff like that. So, so yeah, tonight okay. is um tonight we'll find out with a uh, um elanga and Lindelof and Dalo Ronaldo and Brunner off to
2: off to Qatar. Oh, fair enough. I completely missed that that was tonight. I thought they were all in June. So yeah, no, and England are also
4: tonight as well against um, yeah Ivory Coast.
2: Yeah, and maybe Eric Bi might be involved over there. Uh, see, could be Bi ba- versus Maguire. We've been involved, <laughs> the one we've all been waiting the, for
4: the true, the true test. <laughs>
2: (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah we will get on to talking about the fixtures coming up and the end of the season but let's just have like i say a bit more of a detailed chat about the glazers the ownership i mean it's all kind of blown up a bit this week because there was kind of a press release from must the manchester united supporters trust about this kind of fans share scheme that's been talked about you know if we kind of remember back a year or so ago we obviously had massive protests after the European Super League announcement Uh, we had that game versus Liverpool called off Um, you know people were going pretty crazy and after that the Glazers and the board made a lot of kind of promises of working with the fans and must in particular on going towards giving fans representation Uh, there was a lot of promises made and we're nearly a year down the line and not very much has happened there has been a bit of a kind of fan represented board set up and they are kind of talking to the club and do give their input over there as I understand so it's been one kind of step in the right direction but the big thing that a lot of people had been waiting to see what happened was this talk about the Glazers saying that we will sell some shares to the fans for the long term so that fans can be permanent members off the board and have a say and if things like the european super league come up again that you know fans will be consulted on it and it was back in november where the club actually put out even an official announcement saying you know talks are quite advanced over this fan share scheme and we expect to release details soon But then I understand, once they've gone into the fine detail of this stuff, that must have not been happy with the terms. They've kind of rejected what's been put in front of them. And they've now put a deadline of April for the Glazers and the board to come back with what they'd say would be an acceptable kind of fan share scheme. Uh, You know, the one thing is that we're talking about pretty small amounts of the club. About $10 million has been mooted that only represents something like 1% of the club. Uh, so it's not a lot, but it's more like a symbolic thing of getting the fans back in there and giving some kind of step in the right direction to maybe building up a share over time that, you know, maybe in a few years it could be 5%, 10%, something like that. Um, but, I think the one big actual positive from this is that Glazers have actually been willing to sell fans shares that give them the same voting rights as they do. Uh, You know, without getting too technical stuff, there's our shares of ours listed out in America and there's, they're available. Anyone can buy them, but you only get one share vote for every 10 that the Glazers have. So the Glazers still have control over everything. And this is must have demanded that if fans are given any shares, they should have the same rights as the Glazers. Um, But yeah, at the moment, as I say, they've said things have not been agreed, that They're not happy on how things have gone over the past year. Things have moved too slowly. And they've given a deadline for kind of next month. And otherwise, I think another kind of protest will be called. And there's already kind of things penciled in. People are talking about Chelsea of the last game of the season for having quite a big protest again, for just saying, look, things have not moved on enough. There's not been enough change from last season. And, you know, the other thing that was supposed to happen as well was there should have been kind of work done on the stadium. Uh, you know, improvements over there where, you know, you know as well as a regular match goer that there's not been a lot of money being spent at Old Trafford in recent years Mm. compared to a lot of the new stadia that places like Tottenham, Arsenal, even Manchester City have our kind of facilities are kind of falling back a bit. Um, But yeah, apparently there's now proposals being looked at about redoing the stadium versus kind of knocking down and coming new. Uh, I mean, I don't know what your preference would be over just kind of refurbishing Old Trafford versus getting a brand spanking new stadium. Def-
4: definitely refurbish, I would think. Um lose a bit of the soul with those new stadiums. It should become empty balls, don't they? Uh, new Wembley's the worst. I hate New Wembley. It's not even new anymore, just Wembley. But yeah, Wembley's terrible. Um, so I think you'd have to keep keep, keep the bones, just really sort it out. And to be honest, can I, I'll tell you something. Um, one thing about in football that people hear that I have n- literally... I'm Really, not bothered about is uh stadium naming rights. I would happily give a sponsor to it, I don't really care about that. Everyone knows it's Old Trafford, everyone's going to call it Old Trafford if it has to be called the Spotify Old Trafford, whatever Spotify New Camp. Now, isn't it like people get still yeah, going to call yeah, it that's New all, Camp that like, the, like, the day? People, Spotify New if Camp, people are going to call it New Camp. Who cares? Like, I call it New Camp, you'll call it New Camp. It's on the name. Who cares? If you get some a bit money, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so some, so I would redevelop, redevelop it if we need to sponsor. Um, as long as it's not some weird, dodgy sponsor, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really care. Uh, but yeah, they just need to put some money into it and actually uh, expand it. I, I don't even think expansion is the, the main thing. Like, um, yeah, we sell out, but it's always tickets kicking around for those that need them for most games, obviously not the big games. Um, it's more just, uh, yeah, everyday look and feel and the quality of it just needs a bit of updating. Even some paint somewhere. Some of the paint's just terrible.
2: Yeah, and I agree with that. I would prefer that we kept Old Trafford. There's so much history there. Uh, It would be a shame to lose that. Like I say, when you go to some of these new stadiums, it all looks very spanking new and nice and uh, facilities, but the history and all does get lost and You know, I've been to matches, like say, the new West Ham Stadium and compared to the atmosphere at the old one, it just doesn't compare in the slightest. Yeah, They definitely get something lost when you get these new stadiums up there. I mean, I'm actually yet to visit the new Spurs Stadium compared to the last one, but I can't imagine that it has that kind of feel that White Hart Lane used to have and definitely Highbury versus the Emirates. I know for sure that it's just, like I say, you you lose something, you lose history, you lose some atmosphere and I mean... yeah, I do want to talk about Man United Sports because they're getting a lot of criticism and we have we've been having some discussions on Twitter about this kind of thing. And Must are the biggest supporters organization of Manchester United fans. They have kind of thousands and thousands of members. But a lot of people don't are not happy about how things are going. I think there's a lot of people who feel there should be more protests. There needs to be more kind of militant action to push the kind of glazers out and things like that. Uh, I mean My view of this has been, look, if people want to protest, fair enough, go ahead. But I don't think that protesting will actually result in the Glazers leaving. We've seen big protests happen in the past, whether it was 2005 when they first came in, whether it was 2010 with green and gold. And each time that because there was no real alternative, there was nobody who came saying, listen, we're ready to buy them out. There was no real movement on it. Uh, you know, even you know, if you remember back in 2010, there was these apparent Red Knights who yes. were like groups of wealthy kind of Manchester United fans who apparently came together and tried to put together a bid to buy the club. And in the end, they said, listen, the Glazers are asking way too much money. And I think at the time it was something like the Glazers were asking £2 billion for the club and the Red Knights valued it as something like £1 billion, So they were miles apart. Hmm. I mean, fast forward 10 years later, and I'd say the club's probably worth double of that. Um, I mean, I've always said that I don't see which billionaire is going to be out there to come and buy the club. It has been... Well, it's been interesting to see what's happening at Chelsea where all of a sudden there has been three or four kind of uh, billion pound bids submitted to buy their club and you know let's see let's see what kind of price they go for but we're talking about something around two billion pounds yeah i
4: think and... the, the difference with there is there's a couple of differences. one there isn't like active there's an active sell in place like they're, we they know there's they, they know it's there to be bought and when something's there to be bought, it's very easy. It's a lot easier to get a group of people together to actually buy something. And when there's a price laid out as well, I think we're in the realms of the Glazers where it's not advertised that they want to sell. Any sell needs a negotiation and that negotiation go up and up and up. And it's hard to get people together to buy a club the size of United when A, you don't know what the starting price to be, and B, you don't know when it's going to end, that price. So it's a bit different. Um and then obviously you look at towards like big money states oil states and you don't really want that involved with united yes the glaziers aren't great but give me the glaziers over the russians or the saudis or the emirates i guess um yeah so... and anyway
2: it does tend to be that those kind of you know big oil state funds and things they don't go for a club like manchester united they go for Newcastle or Manchester City where they can pick up the club relatively cheaply mm. really, and just spend a load of money on players and say yeah that'll do for us uh you know they don't probably see the value in spending and I don't know what the value of our club is today if Chelsea's worth two billion we must be worth four billion mm. at least and they probably don't see the value in that and who does that is the question who will pay I don't that think kind anyone to club? You? That is always my problem. When people talk about protests, when people talk about boycotts, I say, look, fair enough, if you feel that strongly about it. And yeah, there is stuff worth protesting. Uh, you know, I was absolutely behind it when there was everything about the European Super League. And I think, yeah, there is things worth protesting at the moment. I think, you know, pushing the glaze is sending that message that, look, we're not happy and we need faster change. It's definitely worth getting out there and making your voice heard. But ultimately, until there is a serious buyer who comes to the Glazers with the right amount of money, we're not going to see any change over there. And, I think that's the kind of way that must have gone and said, look, we've been fighting to get the Glazers out since 2005. And, you know, at some point you have to kind of say they're not going anywhere. They're here to stay. They don't want to leave. And there was a point where, you know, our debts were going high. The Glazers seemed in a precarious position, but we're not in that point anymore. Even after a year of empty stadiums, they're still sitting pretty comfortably, still have money to spend on the squad. Uh, and, you know, and that's one thing that for some years people moaned about how much money was invested in the squad we can't moan about how much money has been invested in the squad in recent years we can moan about what it's been spent on we can moan about how much money is wasted on players sitting around on the bench doing not very much uh, you know these kind of decisions but the amount of money that's been spent is astronomical mm. uh, you, you know we've wasted hundreds upon hundreds of millions on players who have not worked out and you know we probably will do again um, so on that side of it i think you can't really complain but it's more about like i say investment in the stadium training facilities who's running the club how
4: decisions yeah. are made where the big just problems the, just are general mismanagement isn't it that's yeah. what it is it's mismanagement it's not it's not um in the investment well it is investment in certain styles, but it's just mismanagement of funds mismanagement of everything like having Woodward in charge for however long when he's an absolute idiot hasn't helped so hopefully obviously he's gone now obviously still advising or whatever because, you know, can't get his grubby paws off it, but you'd hope it goes in a better direction with the new people. But, I mean, there's nothing to suggest that the decisions being made at the top of United are any any good. So No,
2: and as I say, as I mentioned before, you know, it is clear that the likes of Joel Glazer in particular – are very involved in the day-to-day running of the club. And I think that is a massive negative. Uh, You know, he doesn't come over here very much. I don't know how much... Apparently, he does follow uh, us a bit more now than... Whereas his father literally had no interest in Manchester United. It was just business. He only cared about how much money he made. And, you know, in a way... Joe Glazer takes more interest, but it's actually a bad thing because he's making actual decisions. He wants to be involved there. He is part of, I think, you know, ultimately he will be the one who decides who is our new manager. He's the one who makes that call. He'll take advice on whether it's Mertor, whether it's Ranyik, whether it's Alex Ferguson. I'm sure he's taking advice from wherever he can get it. But ultimately the decision comes down to him and that is still a major, major issue. Uh, and as I say, that's why for me, if we can try and get, Fans involved must whatever to give their opinions. It can only be a good thing, and I find it strange when there's a lot of criticism of these things. Uh, you know, there's a big school of thought out there saying we shouldn't even talk to the Glazers. We don't want to be on the board with them, and I don't agree with that. I think that that I think that you know the kind of idea of getting inside and trying to make some change from inside it is a good idea and even if it's minimal i think it should be a step in the right direction uh, and yeah i don't know about you as well i think you know sometimes things that must do gets forgotten that i think the stayed in the stadium the atmosphere has improved a lot in the last couple of years uh i mean yeah you go more than me
4: nowadays would you agree with that yeah i mean in the stadium everything's i mean the atmosphere is generally okay um, I'd actually say that it's got a lot better in the last
2: couple of years. One, on my side, we have the kind of safe standing area, yeah. stroke kind of singing section. At Your side, Stretford End, you've yeah. got that uh, the Red Army who are down like above
4: the tunnel, uh, who I think are doing a pretty um, yeah, good job. I mean, I mean, it's hard to say because I mean the results at Old Trafford have been terrible, which they don't really, they don't really uh, facilitate great atmosphere sometimes. But when it when it goes like the Spurs game, fantastic atmosphere. Yeah, Uh, earlier in the season, there was, of course, Leeds, Newcastle. Yeah, some really good atmospheres. So Champions League as well. Even the Madrid game was a decent atmosphere until, uh, you know, it all went tits up. Um yeah.
2: so... I'd say it's more more like I say, a general thing that I think a few years ago, four or five years ago, the atmosphere had gone really bad. Like it just gone slowly downhill and there had been these new initiatives to try and get things going. And although we're nowhere near like where we were like in the eighties or nineties, where you'd have like half of the stadium bouncing, and I don't think we'll ever get back to that just because the game has changed, the kind of makeup of who's in the stadium has changed. But I for me personally I feel that there has been much a lot of improvements within the stadium and a lot of that stuff. Good work does go to Must and the red army guys who've worked with the club to try and do these kind of things. Um, You know, the fans who go out there and say, we shouldn't talk to the Glazers. We should protest. We should boycott. They might not remember that. Like, 10, 15 years ago, that is the way must approach things. They said, we're not going to work with you. You shouldn't be here. You should never have taken over the club. We want you out. And basically, the club just didn't speak to any fan groups. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. We're not interested in what you have to say. And it basically ended up that like the ground went downhill things are not good and then slowly slowly they've kind of opened up avenues of communication you know even small things it started with banners going back in the stadiums you know around the Stretford end first and then the rest then as I say improving like the atmosphere around safe standing around singing sections uh kind of work on ticketing where there's better things for kind of young, there's been a lot of tickets given cheaper to young fans, uh, cheap kind of discounts for away tickets and things like that. And these have been improvements. And that's what comes from when the fan groups work with the club to try and do things as opposed to saying, listen, we don't want anything to do with you. Uh, So, yeah, look, as I say, must have put out this deadline for next month for the Glazers to come back with some proper kind of movement on the things they'd promised last year basically mm. and if they don't i think we will see more protests between now and the end of the year um you know if we talk about now our running before we do let me give a shout out to our sponsors manscaped um who are still b- backing us for another few months i'm always surprised like every we always get a three don't month deal with manscaped don't be surprised well yeah like people, I, people when they. To share <laughs> yeah 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 all our listeners out there seem to love it Manscaped say our code has been doing well to remind out there again go to manscaped.com use united hour 20 to get 20% off Uh, as I said when they first came to us I was like I'll be happy with like a three month deal with these guys Um, but yeah it's been more than a year they have extended those for another few months as I mentioned as well and I probably will do that now in the next week or two we need to pick out one of our Patreon subscribers Subscribers who will get a Manscaped package. They've agreed to give a prize out there for those guys. Uh, you know, you guys backed us when we were kind of struggling with advertising and stuff like that during COVID. So always thankful to our Patreons and still always get a few joiners in the match day chats to get depressed in our group therapy sessions over there. But yeah, Manscaped have kept going on over there. It is their performance package 4.0, which is the one to look at. Head over to manscaped.com, United Hour 20 for your 20% off yeah um, um, so yeah if
4: you get on the patreon uh after listening to this you're well in with a chance of winning that um and it's just nice way, a nice way to give back to the pod that we provide for free
2: yeah, exactly. Like I say, but I think probably, yeah, by the end of this week, whoever signed up for the Patreon will stick all the names in a hat or something. I'm still not sure exactly how I'm going to do it, but we're going to get a name out there from somewhere and somebody will get a manscape package. Um, but yeah, look, let's now look at our kind of run in, uh, you know, did the last pod with Colm and we were obviously pretty depressed after going out to Atletico Madrid and top four is looking a bit of a stretch. Not totally out of the thing, but I know you were not, you were like calm, not in the confident booth already. I think there was a couple of us, maybe me, Ashwin, Ed, who still thought that. Arsenal would mess it up and Tottenham would mess it up because we're so used to them doing so. But you're now what? Not expecting top four? Not at all. And I'll ask you the same question then that I asked Colm. Uh Do you want to finish fifth and go into the Europa
4: League? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Europa League is a decent competition. Uh, anyone who says it's not is not been watching it recently. Uh, it's a decent competition, uh, especially these later rounds. Like if you put us in, if you put us into that Europa League competition in this quarterfinals uh, stage, that's probably about our level at the moment. Um, with some of the teams in there, you have got the Barca's and um, other. I mean, they're obviously the standouts, but there's some other decent teams in there as well. So it's it's it's, it's a good competition. It's a good thing to win. Um, I would I think, and plus, especially you have got a new manager. Um, get more games is good. I think to get that system in, get more players from the squad playing games, right. um, even if it's against Europa League group stage fodder, still a good time to rotate your squad, get some more get some minutes out there, especially at the beginning of the season when we're trying to embed new ideas. Um. So yeah, I would. I honestly, yeah, I would happily get into the Europe League. I think, it's a, I think it's a must, to be honest with you. I don't want to do that. That Conference League, yeah, fair enough. That's a bunch of nonsense. But <coughs> um, yeah, you're telling me that uh, you're like what a game against Barca or Atlanta or I mean, we played Atlanta at Leipzig. Um, what the last two years in the Champions League we played both those sides, yeah, and they're in the yeah. quarters. Um, Leon are always a good... they. Leon knocked out City the other, other year from the Champions League, didn't they? So West Hammer. Are... Obviously kicking around, around the same level points as us in the Premier League. So, you know, these are decent sides. And uh, it's a competition we won a couple of years ago. It was a good win. So I would, yeah, happily be in that competition. Um, I do think we'll finish fifth, though, but just because at Arsenal are annoyingly competent at the moment. Like, they are very, very competent, um, especially when it comes to dispatching smaller sides. They're doing it fairly routinely they did lose to liverpool the other week but i mean they give it they, they give a pretty good account of themselves for the most part um probably a better account than we'll give when we go to anfield so yeah i can't i can't look past arsenal and it would obviously involve us beating them at their place and also them dropping some points elsewhere and we also have to beat chelsea at home um other than that i think the fixtures aren't the worst but Yeah, I I, I just can't see us beating Arsenal at the Emirates to start with.
2: I mean, yeah, I think we could still beat Arsenal at the Emirates, but we're going to need more than that because they've got these couple of games in hand. Um, If we look at our April, uh, you know, we had an absolutely mental February. I think it was something like eight or nine games. And then we had a quiet March where we Mm. only had three matches in the end because we had Liverpool, one was rearranged. And so, you know, we've had like 18 days to stew over going out of the Champions League. But uh, April brings us five matches. We'll kick off on Saturday against Leicester at home. Home. We then go to Everton. Then we have got Norwich at home. We then go to Anfield and the Emirates, like in the same week. Mm. So the last week of April is going to be pretty crazy. And uh, you know, we still got three matches up till that. And you say we're going to have to win those three matches to feel like we've still got any chance of hitting top four and even getting fifth place is going to be a fight for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tottenham are going for that as well. And I'm sure they want that Europa League place, you know, West Ham aren't totally out of it, but I think the fact that they've now still got European competition to focus on might take their kind of foot off slightly in the premier league, but yeah, let's see how they go. Cause they don't have that kind of squad to be fighting on two fronts. Um, but yeah, fifth place is by no means guaranteed for us either Uh, you know we still have to really be fighting for that so as I say Leicester Everton Norwich is what we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks before we then go to Anfield and the Emirates um and yeah, look, we're going to have to win these matches. There's like no other way of looking at it to have any kind of chance of going anywhere. First up, Leicester, as I said, uh, it was six months ago, Brendan Rodgers was being touted as interim manager for us. They've fallen away quite a bit and kind of struggled. Uh, it's kind of coincided a bit with Vardy and a couple of other, they've had a couple of injuries basically
4: mm-hmm. and they've struggled with who's coming over there. Especially been- their defence looks, it's been really ropey this season.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They lost, uh, was it Fofano's just come back? Uh, there's a couple of players coming back now, but yeah, they really missed a few. And uh, they, you know, they've been struggling around mid-table, whereas in the last few years, they've been in that kind of Champions League fight, mm. even though on each occasion we did pit them just right at the end. Uh, that's why I still always have that glimmer of a late season rush to get us back in there again. Um, but yeah. Leicester first up over there. Are you going
4: to that game this weekend? Uh, yes, I'll be there. Uh, I, th- I mean, we should win. Leicester beat us 4-2 at their place when they were in bad form and we were in worse form. So we kind of owe them. Um, yeah, that
2: was that day when Harry Maguire Harry, Harry never should have played. Class, yeah. um, He's kind of struggled since then, hasn't he? Yeah, well,
4: that was the f- that's when he came back from when he was still injured, wasn't he? And he decided to have to play him, even though he didn't have to play him, and then he was injured. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should beat this Leicester side, really. I think we've got a decent record against Leicester at um, Old Trafford as well. So, But then our Old Trafford record in general is very patchy at best. Um, but you would hope that we, we win this game. Um, we should win this game, especially after a, a long break. It'd be good to get that winning feeling back at Old Trafford.
2: Yeah, we really have to. The only thing we just have to see is if people do come back injured and whatever from international duty. Uh, it's always the South Americans as well who struggle the most. Who often just come mm-hmm. back a couple of days before. Um, Cavani and Fred have been playing out there. I think Tevez didn't play for Brazil the other day, but he is out there. So we have to see what kind of state they'll come back yeah. in. Normally, Cavani goes out for international
4: duty, and we don't see him for the next yeah. month. Right. What, what, so what I would say is our next three are. Um... Uh, it's Leicester at home Everton away who are terrible and Norwich and I mean that's three games we should win but we obviously won't so we will drop points against one of those sides I can't even remember last
2: time we won three games in a row. Oh, God, no. I think even two games was like, kind of like this. They mentioned it. I think uh, we, we had, a, is there any, where did we beat? We did win two games in a row recently and it was the first time in a while. I think it was uh, Brighton and then Leeds and it was like the first time in several months we'd even won two games in a row. Yeah, so winning three uh, is a no. stretch,
4: but we should because Everton are terrible and um, they also have a midweek game just before they play. Everton play a, have a massive game against Burnley um on the wednesday night and then we play them saturday morning Um, yeah so next three we've only got one match a week i mean we've only got one midweek game proper midweek game between now and the end of the season which is liverpool which is crazy like coming to april not a single midweek game we technically play brighton at brentford on a monday but that's it's a weekend game that's just been moved for tv but yeah crazy that this is this is this is where we are now we're a team that don't have midweek games at the crunch end of the season all right, so you're expecting fifth place, basically. I would, I, I would, I think, yeah, that should be. We should, if we if we don't get fifth, then that's very, very. I mean, get not getting Champions League is poor, but if we don't get fifth as well, that's a that's truly terrible.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that has to be the bare minimum, as I say. I'm still one of the few because I'm always looking at the optimistic side, who hopes that Arsenal fall away
4: completely. I could see us because because we're such a a. a crazy club we could i could see us actually being somehow within a chance on the last day of the season of getting it yeah. but then just missing out or something because obviously nice things don't happen to us well, and no, i, I mean, nice last things, couple what, of top four nice things
2: of... yeah no i mean last couple of seasons i mean la- last season all right we did top four relatively comfortably but the year before it was right to yeah, the it wire was the leicester
4: game away wasn't it um, and
2: i'm pretty sure around this time march most of us were saying i don't think we're gonna make well, it, it. And... Then, COVID,
4: then then we came back after covid and we were. We're just winning, no, not we're a bit being of a ruthless. Run. But I think, um, yeah. But like I said, though, I'm not the champion. I think Champions League football isn't a must. Oh, well, it is a must. But I mean, it's not. It's not the be all and end all this season of all seasons. I said that last time I was on the pod as well. I think with all the changes that's going to go on in the summer, I think the the new manager doesn't rely on Champions League football. And I think the players that they get in shouldn't have to rely on Champions League football either. Um, we should be looking at like getting players who fit a system, who want to play for the club, who are going to do a decent job and not just these big star names who are going to come in for a paycheck. And if that means no Champions League football, then they're going to have to deal with that. And I think, I'm not worried about, we're not going to lose, if we, anyone wants to leave because we haven't got Champions League football, they can, they can piss off, I don't care. So yeah, I think of all seasons, I've, we don't need it this year. We do, well, we need it obviously because it's nice, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think you know we've been out of Champions League in seasons before and not had problems attracting big names. Yeah, I don't think that's a major issue. There might be the odd one who out there who will make a decision based on that. And in which case, uh, we don't really
4: know. need him, do we? Yeah.
2: So yeah, we'll see on that. Um, but I do want to be in Europe for sure. Let's see where we go there. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably us rounding up for this week. Uh, do give us a shout out because you know. Normally, we're always focusing on the matches, whereas this week we've tried to look at more things around the club. And, yeah, we are interested in the feedback. Do you want to hear more stuff about the boardroom, shares, the glazers? Uh, You know, sometimes I know people are not interested in that. Uh, But, yeah, we we want want to talk about whatever you guys want to hear. So if you're on Twitter, if you're on Patreon, please send us a message and let us know which kind of issues you want us to cover. And, yeah, we can do more of that if need be. Uh, I have actually been messaged must the Man United Supporters Trust and asked if somebody will come on a future show and we may try and sort that out because I say they've been getting quite a lot of flack and I think a lot of it sometimes is unwarranted so maybe they can come out here and tell us themselves what they're kind of focused on and how things are going at the club but yeah apart from that manager talk is the big one we're hoping we round out the season in some kind of decent way. Uh, it's been t- way too long without a match, but I guess uh, some people have been happy. Like I said, we always used to say Manchester United ruining your weekend. So we've had a few weekends off for of that. But yeah, back in action this weekend. And let's hope when we come back for the podcast next week, it's not another weekend ruined, eh? Yeah,
4: hopefully. Uh,
2: but yeah, that's uh, goodbye from us for this week. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week. Cheers, guys.
0: 18 plus.